Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense. Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. It is Thursday, February 24th, 2022. And as you have heard, Russia has gone into a full invasion into the Ukraine. We're going to be talking about that today. I believe we have some incredible biblical, spiritual insight to what is happening right now. Our response to what we're hearing, our response to what we're seeing is critical to our moving forward in the purposes in the kingdom of God today. So we're going to get into that. You know, they've called it the theater of war, uh, the greatest show on earth. And honestly, you know, you feel like you want to get your popcorn and you want to sit down and kind of watch what's going on. Um, but it is, it, it's an amazing, it's a, it's a new thing. You know, it's not COVID-19, it's not vaccinations. It's now the theater of war in Europe, the biggest war since historical times and uh you know russia is involved and and it's so fascinating right and people think uh immediately ezekiel 38 ezekiel 39 and all these things are happening and you know what what's what's the ramp up here on the other side of the day things are ready to bust in the realm of uh oh so many different things but we're going to talk about every bit of it today and we're excited about it we're glad to be here on this thursday we are reporting to you from the great state of florida where the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, is standing in the gap for his state against the federal um, invasion itself. You know, the federal government likes to invade territories and uh, set up its own, you know, territorial mandates and all that good stuff. Uh, A lot going on in the world. A lot going on, I say. And yet we have a proper, there's only one, 
proper response to what is happening. And I don't think any preacher in the world, any prophet in the world, any apostle in the world, any teacher, any Christian in the world who reads their Bible would argue that there's only one accurate response to what is happening in our world today. And in order to understand that response, we have to look through the biblical lens, and we have to look at the signs of the times, and we have to come up with an interpretation so that we would have an accurate response. We would know what to do. It's always that way. Last night, we had a wonderful Bible study online with Pastor Denny Sossaman, a little rough around the edges because we didn't have had technical issues. But beyond that, um, we, he was talking to us about the spirit of pride and how pride is a killer. It just is. It kills destiny. It, it destroys relationship. It does all of that. And the reason why we as Christians need to be dealing with any pride in our hearts or in our minds and our conduct and our personalities or whatever, um, we do it because we don't want pride to cause us to fall. And we know that pride, when it's in, in operation, you know, uh, uh, before pride comes a fall. And so we want to be able to walk through these days in humility, going low, enduring to the end. And so uh, great Bible studies, the word of God is rich, God is good, and um, we're ready to go here. So welcome to the broadcast. God bless everybody this morning. And we're going to get right into this. And I'm going to share with you a video just to start the morning off. I've been trying to get it to you for a while of Charles Schwab. And you're going to have to listen very, very carefully, and there, you can read it if, you, if you're able to do so, um, but, and I'll do it maybe once or twice, you know, um, so people can get a real gist. But I want you to really tune in. I want you to really listen up very carefully, very closely, because what Charles Schwab is basically dealing with and what he's talking about is how the New World Order is shaping and controlling the crises that are going on in our world today. And he's going to talk about the next crises that they're going to grab hold of. They're going to be talking about how to deal with an angry world. Uh, this is all very biblical and a very timely word, quite frankly. So without further ado, I'll play it the first time, and then we'll go ahead and bring it in uh, the next time. So let's add to the stream, and I'm going to bring on Charles Schwab, and then we'll get this going here. So there you have it, and listen carefully, and I want to make sure that this is going to be, my settings are nice and clear, and I'll get some good audio on this, and here we go. This is Charles Schwab. Young generation, like Prime Minister Trudeau, half of this government, actually young government, he penetrates the cabinets. The change is not just happening. The change can be shaped by us. We have to prepare for a more angry world. How to prepare? Takes the necessary action to create the fair world. I see the need for a great reset. So people assume we are just going back to the good old world which we had and everything will be normal again. This is, uh, let's say, fiction. It will not happen. There is only one way this pandemic is going to go. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. The next crisis is already waiting for us around the corner, and it is the climate crisis. All right, so did you hear that? Did you hear that? Uh, let me just disperse that once more time here. 
and remove it from the screen. All right, so you heard that the next crisis is the, the climate crisis. You saw that they're preparing for an angry world, that it's only going to get worse and worse and worse, which is biblical. In the last days, that's the way things would go. And that uh, they are shaping the crisis, the New World Order, the Klaus Schwab uh, Club. And um, that is the reality. That is the reality. Um, so with that being said, I want to I play it one more time just in case you didn't get it, okay? Just want, I want you to see it. I want you to feel it. I want you to understand it. And then we're going to go to the Word of God and talk about what's going on today for a proper response for all the things that are going on in the world. So let me add the screen one more time. Let's bring it up. And here it is one more time, Klaus Schwab. Young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, half of this government, are actually young we penetrate the cabinets. The change is not just happening. The change can be shaped by us. We have to prepare for a more angry world. How to prepare? Take the necessary action to create a fairer world. I see the need for a great reset. So people assume we are just going back to the good old world which we had and everything will be normal again. This is, uh, let's say, fiction, it will not happen. There is only one way this pandemic is going to go. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. The next crisis is already waiting for us around the corner, and it is the climate crisis. All right, so we have the climate crisis we have, uh, I'm going to go ahead and put an end to that right now. And that's, uh, we'll remove that from the stream. So we have a climate crisis coming up. And you, so you have the new world order and you have that, that, that ecumen of people, um, that kind of people that are telling you wide out in the open that they're shaping all these different crises. So when I look at what's going on right now um, through the news lens, uh, Fox News, CNN, and all of that about Ukraine, uh, Russia, I really believe that there are people that are so deluded, um, even though there's Bible prophecy connected to what's happening, I think they, they think it's a show. You know, they, they, you know, I remember when the big boxing rings uh, matches would come up, Muhammad Ali versus Joe, you know, uh, George Foreman or somebody, they'd have on either side of the screen and they would have all their stats and they've got, you know, Putin and, and uh, you know, Mr. Biden, uh, you know, like, like there's going to be a war with them. My God, it's so embarrassing, quite frankly, for people to even believe that anymore. However, in their delusion, Bible prophecy will ultimately be fulfilled because God says it will. And I think that this theater, this, uh, this big show that's uh, about to happen, again, it's all being moved. It's all being manipulated. Ultimately, they are being moved and manipulated by God's word, ultimately, and I'll show you why. But they think they're in control. They think they're doing this. They're manipulating this so that they can control the world. And um, for a time, it's going to have some minor success. It's, at least they're going to think so. And so I don't believe that any of it is just organically springing up. You know, this is organic all of a sudden. You know, the kingdom of God does work that way. The kingdom of God, things happen as you go. Uh, this isn't something that's happening as you go. It's the next thing on, uh, in the deck, the next card in the deck. So let's get into it. What is the proper response right now to uh, Russia's invasion into the Ukraine and all that's happening right now? Well, first of all, let's go 
to the Gospel of Matthew. You got to go to Matthew. You got to love Matthew. And uh, let's begin right there. And I'm going to eliminate that for right now. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. And I've got some definitions I want to put out here. So in Matthew chapter 24, verse 6, okay, we're going to focus on, you, you could do the homework before and after, and I'll just get the, uh, the passages I want to read here. In Matthew 24, verse 6, what Jesus said from Matthew's perspective was, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. All right, so the very first thing Jesus says about the last days is that you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, but he says to his disciples, see that you're not troubled. And the word troubled there is the throeo, the throeo. And that word throeo actually means to cry aloud or to make a noise or an outcry. Don't do that. Uh, Don't be frightened. Don't be alarmed. Don't be troubled in mind. These are all the definitions. And the throeo also means to wail. Don't wail or to clamor uh, to be frightened again. So Jesus said in the last days that you would hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled, be not frightened, be not alarmed. This is our first response to what we see happening uh, in the world today. The next passage I want to bring in is in Mark chapter 13. So now this is Mark's perspective of what Jesus said. Okay, but uh, before I do that, I want to go back to uh, the next sentence, because Mark will pick up on this one. Um, Actually, in Matthew 24, verse 7, let's read that. Jesus said, don't be troubled about the wars and the rumors of wars. He said, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Now, in Mark chapter 13, we're going to pick it up and see how Mark said it. Mark in chapter 13, verse 8, again, this is Mark's perspective of what Jesus said. You got the four, you know, all the sides of the Lord here from the four disciples, uh, the four apostles. So in Mark 13, 8, for nation, said Jesus, shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be earthquakes in divers places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. All right, so we're getting to now the word troubles here. And in verse 7 of Mark, by the way, he repeats the same thing. When you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be, but the end is not yet. So now Mark is going to roll into the nation against nation scenario. And he uses a different word than Matthew. If you'll remember in Matthew 24, where he says in verse 7, Matthew 24, 7, nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, number one, pestilences, number two, earthquakes in diverse places. So he mentions three things. Mark actually adds a component, and he says in verse 8, nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be 
earthquakes in diverse places. There shall be famines. There shall be troubles. Okay, so he doesn't use the pestilence. He uses the word troubles here. And the word troubles is different than the word troubled in verse 7. This is the Tarkeia, okay? And the Tarkeia is referring to don't let, you know, that there will be troubles. He said there will be disturbances. There will be commotions. There will be sedition. There will be tumult. But the, uh, the main idea in the word trouble, and this is interesting, is a disturbance, i.e. of water that's roiling, or of a mob sedition. All right, so literally, through uh, Mark's interpretation that he's warning the people in the last days to be looking for, it's watch out for mob sedition or protesting, groups of protesters. It's happening or was happening in Austin, Texas. It was happening. We've seen it all around us, right? So these are the things that Jesus spoke. The disciples recorded his words, and we see that Matthew's account is just a little bit different than Mark's account, because Mark brings in this idea of disturbance and mob sedition, or gatherings, large gatherings of people bringing disturbance to society. And so there's no better way to close this out than in Luke chapter 21, where Jesus said it this way in verse 9. He said, but when you shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. All right, so the thing, the word there, terrified, a little bit different than don't be troubled, okay, is the toeo, and the word toeo there means to be terrified or the idea causing to fall. So listen very carefully what Jesus was saying here. Don't allow anything to cause you to fall from your steadfast walk with with the Lord Don't allow the disturbances, the agitations, the troubles to shake you and to cause you to fly away. And this is the definition uh, uh, through that that of causing to fly away or running away or to scare you. He said, when you see these things, don't get in your mind or in your soul or in your physical body. Don't be terrified or allow these things to cause you to run away. And then he said in the same verse, Luke 21, 9, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not yet. He said, nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And now Luke 21, 11, and great earthquakes shall be in diverse places and famines and pestilences and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. All right. So the Lord here is talking about times of commotion. And I want to get to that exact word where he talked about the commotions um, that are taking place. But you notice he uses a lot more in the testimony uh, for the great earthquakes, famines, pestilences. So he takes everything that Matthew and Mark were saying, and he adds the fearful sights, and he adds the great signs. Now, the word commotion here, let me find out where I am in the commotions. Uh, It was in verse 9, 
But when you shall hear of wars and commotions, this is a new word that neither Matthew or Mark used. The word commotion, and, and it's not an easy word to say in the Greek, but here's what it is. It is the akatastasia, the uh, akatastasia. That's the best way to say it, the akatastasia. And what that word means is instability, disorder. Okay, so how did he make, how did he say it? The disab- instability, the disorder, and confusion But when you shall hear of wars and commotions, things that are disordered, they're confusing, and instability, unstable times, what does he say? Be not terrified. So don't let these things that are being projected on the world stage make you afraid. Don't let them shake you. Don't have a spirit of anxiety or fear or worry uh, or frightened. Uh, You know, this is really the most exhilarating time on the face of the earth to be alive. If you're born again and you love the Lord, uh, we really do have front row seats to end time Bible prophecy. And we are looking out uh, at world events through a biblical lens. And so we're not going to be troubled when the market starts to uh, crash, when bombs start to blast, when, you know, this thing gets out of control and it really begins to become unstable. Why? Because we have built our lives upon the rock. And we will be stable because we have received an unshakable kingdom, according to Hebrews chapter 10. And let me just read that for us right now. And this is our confidence. This is why we stand um, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, going all the way to, let's see, um, was it 10? No, it's 12. I forgot that. Okay. So in Hebrews chapter 12, here's what we read in verse 25. This is Hebrews 12, 25. And this is just the counterbalance to everything we just said that will be going on. Terrified, frightened, troubled, famines, pestilences, great signs, fearful sights, commotions. You know, all these things are a reality. These are the disturbances. These are all the confusing, disordering, unstable things, destabilizing. But remember, the New World Order says we can use this. We can shape this to bring about our ultimate purpose, which is global control, a one-world government. Um, you know, and so they're going to use war to depopulate the earth. They're going to use pestilence to depopulate the earth. They're going to use famine to depopulate the earth. But again, your life is in another direction. Your confidence and my confidence is here. It says in verse 25, See that you refuse not him that speaks. For if they escape not who refused him that spoke on earth, talking about the Old Testament Jews at Mount Sinai, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven, whose voice then, so in the days of Sinai, God's voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Okay? So God is saying, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, especially in these last days. 
And the world, the new world order is going to try to utilize these things and manipulate them and control them. But really behind the scenes, God is doing everything. And then he says the shaking is to remove everything that can be shaken. Verse 28, wherefore, we receiving a kingdom. Have you received a kingdom? Yes. Have I received a kingdom? Yes. We receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. It cannot be moved. And because we've received it, he said, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. So what's the message? Well, the way we serve God acceptably is not running in fear, not being terrified, not being shaken, not being worried, not being concerned, not being afraid. And when we remove all of that from our equation, now we can serve God with godly fear. I fear the Lord. How do I serve the Lord today? What am I supposed to be doing to serve God today? And that's where each one of us has to press into his heart and understand his calling upon our lives and do the things that God has called us to do. So rather than looking at the news today and getting all hyped up and agitated and troubled, understand that God is in control. Understand that God foreknew these days. And understand that God actually puts thoughts in the people's hearts to fulfill his will. And you'll find that in the book of Revelation, that he puts it into the thought of the enemy to destroy uh, Mystery Babylon with fire, an eater flesh, burner with fire. I mean, he put that thought into their heart, even though they think it's their own thought, right? So, that's how we're going to begin our broadcast today. With the word of God in its rightful place to allow for you and I to conduct ourselves. Um, And let's get to some chatting now, okay? Uh, In our chat room, we have Terry Jean saying, Stan of Prophecy Club has been saying, it appears that is Daniel 7, 5, and behold, another beast, second, like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. They said unto it, arise, devour much flesh. Could be Russia, and the ribs are Ukraine, and two other countries, DPR, LPR, coming to fruition, interesting anyways. Yeah, it could absolutely be. It could be the beginning of Ezekiel 38, all about the oil. Regardless of what it is, right now, as we're going to get a whole bunch of information coming down, uh, you know, into our hearts, and we've got to sift it. Remember, sift everything. Uh, through the lens of Scripture, through Bible prophecy, sift it and, and look through it. Now, all I know is that this is a war or a rumor of war, and so I'm not going to be troubled. And, it, it, and, the, and the only confidence I have is that Jesus said not to. So I fear the Lord, and my fear of the Lord causes me to obey him and not what everybody's trying to flip out on. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to get involved in that tension and that, that solical intensity. You know, we have been living in the last days for a very long time. We are a generation that have witnessed much more than I think any other generation in the history of the world. Obviously, 
Bible prophecy that's come to pass in our generation. We've witnessed it like no other generation in the history of the world. So all the events that are happening, we've seen earthquakes. We've seen pestilence. We've seen famine. We've seen uh, hurricanes and volcanoes blasting and flooding and tsunamis. And, I mean, we have been seeing shootings and wars and rumors of wars and Man, you go on down the list, and we've just had a global pandemic. Um, we are the generation, and I, I don't hesitate to say that. Uh, we're the generation that witnessed Israel become a nation. Uh, we're the generation. And so Jesus' instruction, what he's telling us, what, are, what do these signs actually mean? And this is a big question. What do all these signs mean? He's saying, okay, these are the beginning of sorrows. These are the beginning of sorrows. So in the final generation, even though in many generations past, in ages past, in dispensations past, these, there may have been some you know, glimmers and, and, and uh, types and shadows of things that are taking place today. Uh, the scoffers will say this has been happening since the beginning of time, but they don't recognize the generation uh, that's going to experience these things globally. So the beginning of sorrows is speaking scripturally about a woman in travail. And we are now in the birth pangs. And the birth pangs that have hit the whole world at the same time. We have war in, in, you know, uh, in, in Europe now. Uh, we've had in Australia the events that have gone on there. We have global unrest. We have global turmoil, global instability. Markets are failing. Uh, in the global markets just hit, got hit heavy, uh, massive hit on the global markets. Um, so you have instability, and anybody that has built their lives on the trust of money uh, is going to fail miserably in this time. Uh, if you have money and you've enjoyed it, and you've, you've used it for God's glory, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Uh, you're not trusting in it, and God's going to bless you for what you've done. Um, but if everything falls away, you're not going to fall away with it because your life isn't built on that. You've just been obedient with the, the mammon, right? So everything is becoming unstable, and it's because we are the generation of the labor pains. And the, 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 the birth pangs have begun. They began years ago. In my opinion, in my, my belief, in the way that I study Scripture, and maybe people don't believe it or not, and that's okay, I'm sticking with it. I believe that the, the first major birth pang that really signaled end-time Bible prophecy was 9-11-2001, uh, because that was the first issue that hit the world. It, it, it shook the whole world at the same time. 9-11 was just not a New York event. 9-11 brought in the Patriot Act in the United States, but it also brought a global control uh, all over the world. Every airport, every city, every nation uh, got taken hold of on 9-11. And what makes that unique is that that was the first time since Israel became a nation in 1948 that a global event took place. World War II was done. Israel was not a nation in World War II. Um, Bible prophecy has to happen with the pattern of Scripture. You go back to the great ancient empires of Egypt. Israel was a nation. They were a gathered people in Egypt. Uh, you go back to Assyria, the Assyrian Empire. Israel was a nation. You go back to Babylon, the Babylonian Empire. Israel was a nation. 
You go back to the Medo-Persian Empire. Israel was a nation. You go back to the Grecian Empire. Israel was a nation. You go to the Roman Empire. Israel was a nation. And then in 70 AD, Israel ceases to be a nation, and they're scattered to the ends of the earth. And so whatever happens from 70 AD onward, reformations, the church age, the kingdom age, um, you know, the crusades, the dark ages, uh, revivals, you know, all of that context within that period of time, it's not until after World War I and World War II that Israel becomes a nation, and now you have to start the timer again. Israel becomes a nation. Now the first global event that takes place while Israel is a nation is 9-11-2001. And it was the beginning of the beginning of sorrows. And it was out from 9-11-2001 that we started reading the scriptures. And you go to Revelation chapter 6, and and just keeping everything in context, the, the thing that we found amazing that we discovered through Bible study and then shared it with other people and other people started preaching the same thing. And it may have been out there before, praise God. There's no problem with that. But here was what was so enlightening. When you get to Revelation, the final prophecy, the book that foretells all future events all the way up into the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, both his first coming after the tribulation and then his other coming in Revelation 19, which we could get into again, But the thing that we found amazing is that the book of Revelation, the first five chapters, there's no prophecy, but the prophecy begins with the first seals being opened, and we and we read them. There was a the first seal was a white horse, the second seal was a red horse, the third seal was a black horse, the fourth seal was a greenish colored horse. So we finally looked at the color of the horses and said, Oh my gosh, look at this. White, red, black, and green. That's the colors of the Middle East. That's the color of the Palestinian flag. That's the color of Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq. All throughout the Middle East, these are their colors. So the clue in Scripture was when you see these colors or the Middle East make its move on 9-11-2001 Al-Qaeda. What does Al-Qaeda mean? Al-Qaeda means the base or the foundation. And what is the, the first white horse? It's carrying a bow. What does the word bow mean? It's the word toxin when you study it out. And what does the word toxin mean? It gets down to the beginning of sorrows, a woman in travail, the beginning of birth pangs. I mean, that's right in the scripture in the word bow. And so, and then we have this, this rider on that horse. He goes forth conquering and to conquer. It's not just one event. Then you went to London bombings. You went to all the different places where You know, terrorism began to show, and then came Hezbollah, Hamas. They'd always been around, but these groups came out. And then there was ISIS and Daesh and ISIL, whatever they called it, the Green Horse. So you had all these things going on. You had the Arab Spring. You had the Middle Eastern transformations. You had governmental shifts. You had uh, North Africa, people's bodies being burned together in major piles, cities being destroyed, economic, uh, you know, collapses. You had... uh, you had famines going on because the Bible prophecy is not an American prophecy. It's global. It's what's happening all over the world. And at the same time, we have so many different things going. But that was our first clue that we stepped into the biblical book of Revelation, end time reality. And it seems to have a, a starting point, 9-11-2001. 9-11-2001. 
And I believe since that time, we've been in the beginning of sorrows. I don't think anywhere in Scripture the Bible says that the beginning of sorrows is the first three and a half years of a seven-year period of tribulation. I know there's one passage of Scripture in Daniel chapter 9 that talks about a 62 weeks and then seven weeks and then, you know, all of that. And then Bible teachers have explored that, and they came up with over 300 different interpretations of what that means. And so... I don't know how you take one passage of scripture out of the Bible and employ that into end-time Bible prophecy. Uh, There is no seven-year tribulation period um, in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we have Jesus saying the beginning of sorrows, but he doesn't put a time frame on it. And then when he talks about the great tribulation, and then in the book that talks about the great tribulation, the revelation, you have three and a half years, 42 months. 1260 days. And so it it all, when you bring it together, we have not, in my understanding of scripture, arrived at the three, at the beginning of the great tribulation yet. I believe that the 9-11 was the first birth pang and there have been many pangs along the way. And you could, if if we remembered them, whether they were the school shootings, uh, there were so many of them or the mall shootings, or if we went to the concert shootings in Las Vegas and we saw the woe in our schools. And we, if we went back and marked every event from 9-11-2001, fast forward to the massive storms and, oh my gosh, it, it got exhausting. And the acceleration of events were taking place. So in the Bible, you have the, the beginning of sorrows, what Jesus taught in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. The exact message that he gave is exactly what Revelation chapter 6 the first four seals are. I mean, you read the first four seals in Revelation, and it's exactly what Jesus talked about in the beginning of sorrows. Wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, you know, and and all of that is what the Bible calls the beginning of sorrows. Now, I don't know how you have sorrows and pangs come upon a woman. Then in Revelation chapter 8, you get to the next level of intensification with the trumpets. So you have the seals, the beginning of sorrows, the trumpets are an acceleration and an intensification of those pangs. So the woman is going into greater birth pangs, or the world is from the standpoint of what Bible prophecy is all about. And then, of course, you go from the trumpets, and the trumpets actually lead into the great tribulation, the great tribulation. And so we expect that these fearful sights, these signs in the heavens, uh, you know, uh, men's hearts failing them for fear of what they see coming upon the earth. We expect that it is going to get worse and worse and worse. It's not going to get better. We don't believe that one bit. We believe in 2003, the spirit of the Lord said, uh, America has crossed the point of no return. It will never return as a nation again. We preached that. We prophesied that in 2003. And we've been watching now for 19 years, and America has never returned. It has gone further away from the purposes of God. Now it's only being used um, as a golden cup in the hand of the Lord, if you will. So Bible prophecy is on. We expect that things are going to get more intense, and we expect that those trumpet um, blasts are going to become the, the reality of the times that we're living in. And some people say that they've already begun. Some people say that we've already entered into a period of time 
um, and, and, and Trump is, and we could explore that. Um, it would be very interesting if that had happened and if we employed symbology uh, and preterism and historicism and uh, futurist views of the Bible, which everybody has, you know, these four major views, if you employ them all, yeah, you could come up with, we're at an amazing moment in the history of the world right now. But what is God saying to you and I? So what we're saying, I thought I was hearing something. What we're saying is Jesus said, don't be troubled because the mob sedition. He actually uses that in scripture. Don't you find that amazing? He's talking about mob sedition and don't be terrified when you see it. He talked about wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, pestilences, troubles, commotions. And his answer every time was, don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. There's more coming. And that's what Jesus taught in Matthew 24. These are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they persecute you. And here's where he begins to talk about global persecution. All right. So there's a a lot of people that are chatting right now. I want to make sure that we have our lines are wide open. And I did fix our problem yesterday, by the way. If you're listening on Blog Talk Radio, uh, everything should be flowing clearly. Uh, Calls can come in. Uh, That should not be a problem at all. Uh, Pastor Jeff Bass is saying it has started, the shaking, the sifting, the shifting. Uh, God gave me this word in April of 2020, and it's playing out before our eyes. God's great reset will trump the New World Order and Klaus Schwab's reset. I believe that. Schwab says by 2030, humanity will own nothing and love it. As Christians, we know that we really own nothing, but God owns everything. Amen to that. And even in the book of Hebrews, uh, the Christians took joyfully the spoiling of all their goods because they were connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, yeah, that's an excellent point. Let me go um, and just say hello to people in the chat room. So we're living in amazing moments. Bible prophecy is actually being fulfilled. And if we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand, It's an amazing time in the history of the world. So what do we expect then? So we're not afraid, but we are watching. We're not afraid, but we are viewing. We are sober. We are cautious. We are careful, but not afraid. (gasps) No, we fear God, and we're in awe of God and respect God more than we ever did because God's word is coming to pass before the eyes of the whole world. And so we're standing in awesome respect of our God. And what can we say will happen next? Well, all along during this time of the beginning of sorrows that has hit the whole world, and you know and I know that they must intensify. A woman in travail, her labor pangs don't get easier right before the birth. They get more intense. And we're talking about the birthing of the next step in Bible prophecy, which is the Great Tribulation. Now, I think it's important that we really do understand um, 8 billion people upon this earth. Um, I don't know how many Christians are on the earth. I know there are a lot of people are believing uh, different things about end-time Bible prophecy. But I think that everybody's starting to agree that, you know, these, this looks a lot like the end times. So the only schism really in doctrine, um, and there there be a number of them, but one of the, the most important schisms that I do believe needs continual attention to 
is the schism of the, the rapture. And because a lot of people right now are saying, with all the events that are going on in the world today, well, the rapture is right now. It's imminent. It's at the door. It's going to happen any second now. Because people that believe in the pre-tribulational rapture don't believe they'll be here for the coming of the Antichrist, the Great Tribulation. They believe they're going to be gone. And the only way to really address that, because I think we all admit, everybody you know, that reads their Bible admits that this is the time. We're in the end times. We are the generation. Everything is being fulfilled. But everybody's going, well, what's the next great step? And there are preachers out there saying the next great move of God in the economy of God is the rapture of the church. Well, and we ask the question, where do you get that from? And the answer is always, well, we get that from 1 Corinthians 15. We get that from 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, we get that. The Bible says it. We get that. And so we explore that. And we have to explore it. Because if somebody's expecting, you remember, you ever met a little kid that told you the story? Maybe you were one of them. Uh, maybe the parents were divorced. You're a little kid and you're sitting at the window of your house waiting for your dad to show up. You're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. And all day you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. And he never shows up. And do you remember how disappointed you were? Do you remember what that did to you as a child? You know, we've been in ministry now, full-time pastoral ministry for 30 years and we've met a lot of people that have gone through that and how that worked in them a bitterness, a resentment, an anger, a disappointment. It was a very grave thing. And if you could just imagine people today waiting to get raptured out of the earth as they're seeing everything coming, and they're like, man, we got to get out of here. What if it doesn't happen? Well, Jesus said a number of things about that. And I want to walk through it one more time, just because I think we need to, where number one in the book of Matthew, where Jesus Christ himself is telling them about the end times. And as you know, for the first eight verses, all he talked about was, uh, you know, there were four disciples. They were Peter, Andrew, John, and uh, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. Those were the four disciples that asked Jesus three questions. When shall these things be? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the world? Three questions. And so Jesus is now answering. And in the first verses between four and eight, he just tells them about global events. It's where he said there's going to be earthquakes and famines and pestilences and sorrows and troubles and commotions. And then he said, these are the beginning of sorrows to that generation that is going to witness these things globally at the same time which we're doing right now. He said in verse 9, then. Now, what we're going to look for, and if, if, if you've already heard this and you want to bail out on it, I understand. But what we're going to look for is what millions of people are believing. Millions upon millions of people are believing that what we're about to read is going to tell them that the pre-tribulational rapture is at the door. It's the next great event. I don't believe that. I believe the next great event in the economy of God is the great tribulation. And the final events that uh, all these birth pangs that are leading up to it are going to accelerate, intensify, and boom, we're going to be in it. So let's find out where they got their information from. And if they are wrong, they can adjust while there's time. If we are wrong, 
then we can adjust while there's time. Let's go find the great rapture, the pre-tribulation rapture of the church in Matthew 24. Here's what Jesus said. In verse 9, after all these global in general events, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. He is now directing this conversation at the disciples. And if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ today, you should really be listening clearly. So you're going to be delivered up to be afflicted. You're going to be killed. You're going to be hated of all nations for my namesake. So this all is around Jesus Christ. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Question. Did anything that we just read hint at the rapture? No. You know it, I know it. You're going to be delivered up to be afflicted. You're going to be killed. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated of all the nations of the earth. That's what's going to happen to this end-time generation of Christians that live on planet Earth today. It's already happening around and about. Um, Then there's going to be what? Many are going to be offended because they're not ready. The little boy that's waiting for his dad to show up and doesn't show up, he gets offended. He gets bitter. He gets angry. Many are going to be offended, and they're going to betray one another. This is in the body of Christ. And they're going to hate one another. Okay? There's no preacher of rapture there. False prophets are going to rise and shall deceive many. I personally believe that the deception concerning the pre-tribulational rapture is one of the greatest deceptions in the church age, in our generation. This doctrine has been preached to disarm people to get them unprepared for what they're about to face and not even giving them an opportunity to have to deal with their inward corruption of the, of the areas of the soul that the devil will exploit at a time that's critical. In other words, they're not being cleaned up before the Lord to deal with the thing that would cause an offense, the thing that would cause their love to wax cold, that would cause them to betray somebody or cause them to hate their brother and sister in the body of Christ. Those things are inside the soul, and they're thinking they're out of here, but because they're not out of here, now they're doing those things because they never really looked within, because they were told that once saved, always saved. So don't worry about your conduct. Don't worry about getting cleaned up before the Lord. Jesus took care of all of it. Don't you, have to, you don't have to worry about anything. So they're so totally unprepared for what's ready to happen, even though they know we're living in these times, but their understanding about these times is flawed, and yet they say it's in the Bible that they're going to disappear. But so far, Jesus didn't say they would disappear. So we continue in Matthew 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken up of, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. 
Let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. Now I want to ask you a question. What is the abomination of desolation? Well, you go back to Epiphanes the fourth. You go back to um, the, uh, in Romans 70 AD. That was kind of future to what this message was here. Jesus was talking a few years later. There, the Romans would come and uh, slaughter a pig in the altar. Is that what he's talking about? Is that the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet? Is that it? Or have there been many types and shadows, just like there have been many end times? There have been many, and I've, we've read this before in Scripture, how there have been many end-of-the-world moments in the, uh, in the dispensations of God, in the ages, in the, in, in the generations. But we're talking about the end of the end of the end of the end. We're talking about the final. There have been many great tribulation periods. Jesus, as you're going to see, is going to say, there will be a great tribulation that's never been before and will never be again. He's centering in on the last one. And obviously, 70 AD was not the last one, especially just, you know, Thousands of years later, World War II, where Jews were taken to Nazi concentration camps. So you can't go to the 70 AD event. Now, he's, he says, so what is it? Well, I'm going to show it to you in just a moment in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, exactly what he is talking about, what he's talking about. So Jesus went on to say, after telling them to flee to the mountains if you're in Judea, don't come into your house if you're on the rooftop, rooftop to take anything out. Two, excuse me, sorry about that. And then he says, don't return from the field to get your clothes. Woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. So if you're, if you're pregnant or if you're feeding your nursing child, woe to you. And woe unto them that are with child and give suck in those days. For then... Or verse 20 says this way, but pray ye that your flight into the mountains, leaving your house top, leaving the field, he said, pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. That would be hard for a nursing mother. That'd be hard for a pregnant woman. And especially if you get caught off guard during the Sabbath day. Verse 21, for then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. All right, so do you find a pre-trib rapture in anything we just read? Flee to the mountains. Don't come down from the roof into the house to get your stuff. Don't return from the field to get your clothes. Pray that your flight is not going to be in the winter. Um, anything about a pre-trib rapture? Zero. Not even a hint at it, right? Then he talks about the great tribulation. That's what we're preparing for, the great tribulation. That's what's coming. This is what Jesus is talking about. We're going to talk about the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place in one second. Okay, but in just a moment. Jesus then said, except those days should be shortened. The days of what? The days of the great tribulation. There should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. What are the shortened days of the Great Tribulation? Well, the Bible tells us that God is giving the Antichrist in the Great Tribulation period 1,260 days, three and a half years, 42 months. That's what 
the Bible teaches. And that's it. 1260 days, three and a half years, 42 months, it's all the same time frame. That's the shortened time period. That's the time that we must endure unto the end. That is the time where we don't want to get our love to grow cold. We don't want to be offended. We don't want to turn bitter. We don't want to betray the body of Christ. We don't want to hate one another. We don't want to fall into that environment of the soul because we've been disappointed because daddy never showed up at the window or end time Bible prophecy of a preacher of rapture never happened. And so it's internalized. And this is why many will be offended and go through this. And I'm not saying they're the only ones that are going to endure that people that actually believe that we're going to have to endure still have not been diligent about getting themselves cleaned up before the Lord is going to be a problem. So we continue on. And again, I want to ask the question, any hint of a preacher of rapture? No, but Pastor Vince, you're talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and that's Jesus, but we're going to get into Thessalonians. Okay, good. So am I. Let's get in there. So my point is Jesus Christ did not talk about one thing. Listen to verse 23. Then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, don't believe it. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now let me show you how the Bible works this through. So during the tribulation, where the people are in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people right now, enduring those 1,260 days, see, people are going to be in a certain place. And yet the sound is going to go out, hey, he's over here, hey, he's over there. He's saying, don't believe it. And then he said, false Christ and false prophets are going to arise and do what? They're going to show great signs and wonders. Now watch this. This is going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 as well. So when we get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to see the abomination of desolation. We're going to see the false Christ and false prophets showing great signs and wonders, if so, that they could deceive the very elect. But there's also another place written in Scripture about this. And so let me take a brief break, and let me go to Revelation chapter 13, and I'm going to hold my finger in Matthew 24. So in Revelation chapter 13, here's what we read, and I'm just going to start in verse 11. Revelation 13:11 nobody would dispute Revelation 13 is the great tribulation chapter this is where the global beast government the dragon the false prophet this is where all this activity during that great tribulation period is taking place and here's what's going to happen in Revelation 13:11 and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth he had two horns like a lamb he spoke as a dragon He exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he does, listen now, great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. What is he doing? Miracles and wonders. That's what this false prophet's going to do. Jesus said, and there will be false Christs and false prophets shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if possible, they shall deceive the very elect. All right, so you have the false prophet and all those that are connected to him, false Christs, false prophets, are going to be doing all kinds of signs and wonders and miracles. 
but they're satanic. And they're meant to deceive the whole world. Look what it said. He had power, uh, and he does great wonders, that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth and the side of men and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles. So the next time you're going to see that is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And so everything Jesus is saying is written in the letters and in the book of Revelation. The very next thing that Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 25, Behold, I have told you before. So remember, they had asked him three questions. He's answering their questions all the way up to this moment about the persecution, about the tribulation, about all these different things. He says, okay, I've told you before they happen. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, behold, he's in the desert, do not go forth. Behold, he's in the secret chambers, don't believe it. You just stay put during this great tribulation period. There's going to be a lot of deception, a lot of trickery, a lot of people trying to bring people out. And he said, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes out of the east, now he's using this as a kind of a parable, if you will. As the lightning comes out of the east and shines to the west, everybody sees it, right? So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, until you see it, it's not happening. If somebody's saying it, don't believe it. The only time you're going to know it is when it happens. And what is he saying? So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be, like lightning flashing from the east to the west. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. In other words, he's saying when these end-time events begin to show up, you're gonna, it, it's like the prey over the, uh, the, the eagles over the prey. When you see these things lining up, you know it's time, right? And now he's going to finalize answering their questions. But I want to ask you a question. Did you hear one time Jesus Christ even hint at a pre-tribulational rapture? No. You heard him say everything but a pre-tribulational rapture. And I know some people are saying, yeah, but it's in Thessalonians. Yeah, it's in Corinthians. Well, we're going to go there and we're going to take a look at it. And, you know, the consoling mother needs to come to her son who's at the window, who's brooding over the fact that his father didn't keep his word. These false prophets and false teachers, their words weren't true. Uh, There was no preacher of rapture. And the consoling mother is going to have to come and say, hey, Johnny, um, he's not coming. He's not coming. It's not going to be this way. And that's what we want to do today, just to console. It's not going to be that way. That's not what the Bible teaches. And so you're going to have to deal with that. You're going to have to shift and change some things. But what is Jesus now going to say? In verse 29, immediately after the tribulation, after the tribulation, immediately after the tribulation, immediately after the tribulation, after the tribulation, Of those days, the days that are now upon us, the days that are coming, the tribulation is coming. And after the days, after the three and a half years, after the 42 months, after the 1260 days, the sun shall be darkened. The moon shall not give her light. The stars shall fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens shall be shaken. 
So there's all these celestial signs going on after the tribulation, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. All right. So the tribulation is now over. The 1260 days has expired. There's a celestial events going on in the heavenlies. Jesus said, as lightning flashes from the east unto the west or west of the east, whatever it is, um, it'll be his coming. So he's talking about his coming, his only coming, not a secret pre-trib rapture. That's not mentioned here at all. Okay, this is after the tribulation. Now is going to come what? Now then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. You'll find that in Revelation 1-7. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Who? All the tribes of the earth. All the tribes of the earth will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Acts chapter 1, the same Jesus that you saw go up shall come in like manner. This is his returning in the clouds. And listen to what happens here. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. All the tribes of the earth are going to see it. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. So there's going to be a great sound of a trumpet. The Lord is coming in the clouds, but he's sending his angels to do what? To harvest the earth. You're going to find that in Revelation chapter 14. Right after the Great Tribulation chapter of Revelation 13, you're going to find the harvest in Revelation 14. So Jesus, after the tribulation, is going to return in the clouds with a trumpet sound, great sound of a trumpet. He's going to send his angels, and they're going to gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And included in this event, as you're going to see, the revelation of the Apostle Paul, at this time, the dead will be raised. Those alive and remaining will be caught up to meet the Lord. The angels gathering together. I'm not making it up. I'm not adding or taking away scripture. You're going to see this exact event that Jesus just spoke of. Unveiled in the apostle. It's not a different event. It's the same exact event. So what is happening here? The Lord's coming after the Great Tribulation. All the earth will know it. It's not secret. There's nothing about a secret pre-trapture here. The whole world will know. He's coming in the clouds. He's sending his angels. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the chapter that most Bible preachers preach to tell the people about a pre-tribulational rapture. Let's see if we can find it. Paul, number one, is talking about people that have died, believing Christians who have died physically, and the living Christians were concerned. What happened to my loved ones? So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul writes, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, or those who died. He's not saying... I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, about the pre-trib rapture. He's not saying that. He's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have died. That you sorrow not. I don't want you living Christians to be sorrowing 
over your relatives or loved ones who have died in the Lord. I don't want you to be sorrowful about that, even as others which have no hope. Those that have no hope have no hope of the resurrection. They'll never see them again. But not you. You're going to see them again. Why? For if we believe, verse 14, that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep or died in Jesus or believing in Jesus, will God bring with him? Ah, God's going to bring our dead loved ones with him. All right, where are we going? Where's everybody going? For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Now notice, Paul is now going to speak something by the word of the Lord. He's either speaking by revelation that the Lord told him, or he's going to speak what uh, he learned that Jesus taught. But he said, this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Now he's not talking about a preacher of rapture at all yet. Not even talking about a preacher of rapture. He says nothing about that so far. It's all about the resurrection of the dead. Now he's going to explain it according to the word of the Lord. What does he say? This we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we, which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Now there's this coming of the Lord was in Matthew 24. He's coming in the clouds. He's going to explain it again, right? So we who are alive and remain... Through the great tribulation, put it in its proper perspective, Jesus was talking about those who endure to the end of the, of the 1260 days, the 42 months, the three and a half years, those who endure to the end shall be saved. So here he's saying, we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, and he comes immediately after the tribulation, shall not prevent them which are asleep or dead. So here comes now Paul saying, this is the word of the Lord. You know, he had a lot of revelation. He had a lot of download from the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, here's the word of the Lord. We're not, those alive and remaining are not going to go before those who are dead. He said, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. We just read that in Matthew 24. He comes with a voice, okay? He's, he's coming with the, the shout of a trumpet, the blast of a trumpet, right? So the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Matthew 24, Jesus said he would, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Okay, that's what we just read about in Matthew 24. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So, the dead in Christ will rise, the Lord returns, listen, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. How is the Lord returning? In the clouds. He sends his angels with the trumpet blast, the voice of the archangel with a shout. The dead in Christ will rise at that sound. And we alive and remaining will be caught up to meet the Lord in, what does it say? Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So he's not making landfall. He didn't make landfall in Matthew 24. He doesn't make landfall in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the coming of the Lord in the clouds after the tribulation. And then the dead in Christ are rising. We alive and remaining are going to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. A preacher of rapture 
in 1 Thessalonians 4, nowhere does it exist. Nowhere does it exist. Does it exist in 1 Thessalonians chapter 15? We're going to read it, and the answer is going to be no. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, you've heard this. Jesus said these very words in Revelation 1, 7. Behold, he comes with clouds. Here's John the Revelator. Behold, he comes with clouds. In Matthew 24, he came with the clouds. 1 Thessalonians 4, he comes with the clouds. And every eye shall see him. All the tribes of the earth shall see him. It's backing it up. And they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. All the kindreds of the earth are going to see the Lord coming. It's a global event. When he comes, the whole world is going to see it. The dead are going to rise. What an event right before the eyes of the unbelieving world. Those alive and remaining are going to be caught up after the resurrection. They're going to be brought up, and the whole world is going to see it. And they're going to meet the Lord in the clouds, in the air, and we're going to go. And then the world is going to suffer the seven vials of the wrath of God. That's in Revelation chapter 16. Right after Revelation 14, the harvest chapter in 15, it's the pause and the pang. Now the world's going to get the wrath of God because the wrath of God was not the tribulation. The tribulation was the wrath of the dragon. So Thessalonians, was there a pre-trib rapture in there? Anything about a pre-tribulational rapture? Not once. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here it is. Paul the Apostle writing, and I'll just... Pick it up in verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit corruption. All right. Thank you, Paul. Verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. So he's writing to the church of Corinth now about a mystery. To the Thessalonians, he said, I'm getting ready to tell you something by the word of the Lord, the the unveiling of Revelation. How when the Lord returns, the dead will rise, we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and all that. Now he says to the church of Corinth, I'm going to show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we're not all going to die. Especially in the last days, the great tribulation, there will be those who endure to the end of it. We put it in context. But we shall all be changed. So we're not all going to die, but some are going to die. We're not all going to die, but some are going to be alive. But we're all, whether we live or die, we're all going to be changed. How? In a moment. That word moment is a tamos. It's called indivisible. You're not going to be able to say here it comes or there it goes. It's going to happen suddenly, in a moment, immediately after the tribulation, in a moment, in the twinkling of eye, at the last trump. The trump of God in Matthew 24, the trumpet of God in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the, the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, Matthew 24 sounded a trumpet, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 sounded a trumpet, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. 1 Thessalonians 4, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall rise. Paul just says here they're going to be raised incorruptible. Why? Because when the dead rise, they're going to get brand new bodies. They're going to be changed. And we shall be changed. He's referring to those alive and remaining. So the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we, alive and remaining, shall be changed. He probably thought he was going to be part of that generation. I would have, too, because I know how prophecy works. You're right in it when it's happening. 
For this corruptible must put on, put on corruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So what's Paul saying? Pre-tribulational rapture? Nope. Same trumpet of God in Matthew, same trumpet of God in Thessalonians, and you're going to see the same trumpet of God throughout Scripture concerning the coming of the Lord in the clouds, the trumpet blast, the angels gathering, the dead in Christ rising, those alive and remaining being caught up to meet the Lord, changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. And how are we changed at that moment immediately after the tribulation? We get glorified bodies. 1 Corinthians 15 told us all about it. We get these glorified bodies that can never die. So our spirit and soul are transported into new bodies that can never die, never get sick, never get tired, never get worn out. It's going to be amazing. That's the word of the Lord. A pre-tribulational rapture is not to be found in 1 Corinthians 15. A pre-tribulational rapture is not to be found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. A pre-tribulational rapture is not to be found in the book of Revelation because most pre-trib rapture teachers will tell you, well, the, the rapture of the church is in Revelation 4 because John was taken up into heaven. He heard the sound of a trumpet and he was taken up into heaven. And they equate John hearing the sound of a trumpet with the church going to heaven. It has nothing to do with it. That is a complete twisting of scripture. That's not accurate at all, nor consistent with Jesus and the apostles taught. The trumpet that John hears in Revelation chapter 4 was a voice like a trumpet calling him to come up. And, he's, and, and the preacher rapture teacher tell you, that's, no, that's the whole church. That's the trumpet of the church. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not true. So what does this mean? What is this story? Oh, my gosh. Dad's not coming. Get used to it. Dad's not coming. This end-time Bible prophecy teaching about a pre-trib rapture, it's not coming. Get used to it. It's not going to happen. I wish it would happen. The little boy, Johnny, wishes it would happen. We all like it to happen. We want it to happen, but it's not the truth. And to be waiting for something that's not true could be devastating to the eternal condition of people. But now we have people saying, alongside of this doctrine of once saved, always saved, uh, or excuse me, the doctrine of the preacher of rapture, now you have teachers teaching everybody, well, once saved, always saved. You cannot lose your salvation. Are you sure about that? Is that what the Bible teaches? Does the Bible teach you can't lose your salvation? Not the Bible that I read. The Bible that I read is very, very clear that you can lose your salvation. What does it mean to lose your salvation? Well, it means that you once participated in the things of God. You were filled with the Holy Spirit. You were connected. And events shook you, and you were no longer connected. You were shaken off the vine. You were shaken off the foundation. You allowed fear and terror to push you off. You allowed the love for the world, the friendship of the world, the things of the world to take you away. You say, oh, that's in Hebrews. That was to the, the Jewish believers who were being threatened by the unbelieving Jews. That's exactly right. It was the exact context. There were Jewish, Israeli Hebrews that came to faith in Jesus Christ, and they were being persecuted by their unbelieving brethren. 
the unbelieving Jews who did not believe the story about Jesus or the truth about Jesus, started to persecute and lay heavy, heavy persecution and bondage on these believing ones. And the believing ones got pushed away. And the message to them from the writer of Hebrews, which is God, said it this way in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, so he's talking about these believing Jewish people or Hebrews or Israelis who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. So these early Jewish, Israeli, Hebrew believers, Christians, they were partakers of the Holy Ghost. They tasted the heavenly gift. They were enlightened and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. So they had it all, right? If they shall fall away, which it means to defect from the truth, to fall away, the love of many shall wax cold, betray one another, get offended, hate one another. They're falling away. They're being shaken off the foundation. If they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, it's impossible. Okay. You say, well, that was to the Jewish believers. Romans chapter 11 says, if he did it to the Jews, he'll do it to you, to the Gentiles, if you want to go with the Jew-Gentile paradigm of thought. What he's saying is anybody, even a Hebrew Jewish Israeli believer, because of pressure gets knocked off and they turn back to Judaism, you cannot renew them to repentance again. And so what happens? Well, you cannot renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put them to an open shame. Ah, we did that Jesus thing, but the pressure came in. We're away from that now, so they're putting him to an open shame. Well, no repentance. So just because the context was about Jewish believers, does that mean that it doesn't happen to all believers? In Second Peter chapter 2, we have a man... Uh, in Second Peter, uh, I'll actually begin in Second Peter chapter 1, we have a man in verse 3, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, everything you need to live a godly life has been given to you, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So you and I, or this individual, has escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and we have become partakers of the divine nature. Well, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20 says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions, which we just saw they did, of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled, therein and overcome the latter end is worse with them than the beginning for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them what's he saying here they were escaped they were partakers of the divine nature but then they went back and it was worse for them than at the beginning it had been better for them to have never known than after they known to turn away they turned away in the book of Revelation, to the church at, I believe it was Sardis, he says, I'm going to come like a thief, and I'm going to steal your name out of the book of life if you don't repent. 
you will not have a right to the tree of life in another passage. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, and say, I don't know you. Their hands were blown. Gifts. Pre-tribulational, the, the pre-tribulational rapture doctrine runs hand in glove with one saved, always saved. And both are the most dangerous doctrines to have ever hit the church. And yet these are the two doctrines that give people a false sense of security about their eternal soul. I don't know about you, but I don't want a false sense of security. I want the truth about my eternal soul. Because any day now, if the Lord delays, we're leaving this earth. My soul's going somewhere. And I don't want to be one of those that were saying, Lord, Lord, because I just wanted to feel good. I don't want some preacher that's trying to make a million dollars for himself comforting me and telling me lies. I don't want a false security. I want true security. And what I know is that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it's a sacred thing. And I could go on down the list of many scriptures to talk about this idea about once saved, always saved. So why are we talking about it today? Because it is that late. It's that late. Gabriel's with us today, son in the faith. I love it. Excellent teaching and unpacking of the scriptures, the ransom captive delivered and redeemed. Amen. You see, the good news, if you go along with this, the good news is that we are saved by grace. And how does grace save us? I want to ask you that. Do you even know how grace saves? Grace, if you look at the word saved, I guess you got to go back to the word saved. And what is it? The sozo. And what is the sozo? The sozo means to be made whole, to be delivered. Okay? So if somebody's being made whole, spirit, soul, and body, that is salvation. It really speaks of a restoration, a deliverance from the damages that have been incurred through the fall of Adam's sin and the sin that hit our lives. Salvation is being made whole again. The law of Moses couldn't make anything whole. The law of Moses couldn't make anything perfect. So God gave grace. Grace is the power to make whole. We're saved or made whole by grace, the unmerited favor of God or the divine influence upon the heart that's reflected in the life, the true definition. So we're saved by grace. We've been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. He bought us, and now he's imparting grace to our lives to save us, to deliver us, to restore us, to make us whole. Salvation is not about going to heaven. Salvation is about being made whole, or as Romans chapter 8 says, being conformed into the image of his son. Everything about our journey with God is about being conformed into the image. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we go through a transformation in order to be conformed into a form. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, O little children in whom I travail again until Christ be formed in you. Paul wasn't laboring for the church to go to heaven. He was laboring for the church to be conformed into the image or that Christ would be formed in them. And the idea of God's heart for you is that Christ would be formed in you. 
And when Christ is formed in you, then there's no further need of all this stuff because you will have worked out your salvation or you're being saved or being made whole, which is God's original intent for us to be conformed into the image of his son. This is the word of God. This is what the Bible teaches. So I have a security in my salvation. I trust that the Holy Spirit is working in me. But do I go out and become a friend of the world? Do I love the world? Do I sin? Do I commit sin? You know, there's a doctrine today, they don't even want to talk about sin anymore. They think that when you talk about sin, that somehow that's bad to the consciousness. And I agree that our sins are forgiven. I agree that we're no longer sinners and we're to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin and that sin has no power. But then do it. And that can only be accomplished as human nature is nullified by the cross and we live out from a new nature because we've been partakers of the divine nature. All right. So I don't know. I wasn't intending to go into all that today, but I think it's important, number one, that we're not terrified by the things that we're going to hear, see, witness. Um, a lot of deception is coming. You've got to be in the right place at the right time. There is no pre-tribulational rapture. It does not exist anywhere in Scripture. And I've asked people now for coming up near 40 years since I've been a believer, where is that? If you believe that there's a pre-tribulational rapture and someone asks you, well, where can I find that in the Bible? Please don't give them Revelation 1-7. Don't give them Revelation 4. Uh, don't give them 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15. Don't give them Mark 13, Luke 21, Matthew 24. Please don't do that. And now let's finish up in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because everything that Jesus taught about was right here. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're just going to pick it up in verse 2. Now, take everything you've been listening to. I know there's been a lot of information, a lot of the scriptures, and you're going to weigh it out. I know that. Take everything you just heard, and let's just kind of pile it into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and let's see if we come up with a nugget of truth. And by the way, Gabriel, that Isaiah 22, 22 scripture you sent to me the other day was brilliant. It was everything else we had been talking about days before, and I want to thank you for sending that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you ready? Now focus on everything we've been studying so far. Paul says, now we beseech you, brethren. Now Paul says, we beg you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and, our, and by our gathering together unto him. So what is he beseeching them? He's begging them about this issue of the coming of the Lord and are being gathered together unto him. That's the event that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. The coming of the Lord in the clouds, are being gathered together, whether we're dead or living, that's what he's talking about. This is the event in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians. This is the event. So he says, I'm begging you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken. There's that shaken, right, by events and things. 
in mind, don't be shaken in your mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Paul was dealing with the doctrine of imminency. The people in his generation were being told by letters that were supposedly written by them, by spirits from false prophets and false teachers, that the day of Christ was at hand. The events were showing up, and any day now it was going to happen, and the people were responding in such a manner that they couldn't live as salt and light. They were selling everything and running to the woods, and they were hiding away, and they were, they were you know, doing all this stuff, right? And so he's writing to them saying, you're troubled by what you're seeing. You're troubled by what you're hearing. Jesus said, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't be frightened. And the doctor of imitacy, the, the day of Christ is coming. It's at hand. His actual answer to that is, in verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come. What day? His coming and our gathering together unto him. The resurrection. The translation. The change. The coming of the Lord. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first. The falling away is the defection from the truth. It's being shaken off the foundation through fear, worry, anxiety, offense, love waxing cold. So he says, the falling away will come first. That has to happen. And that man of sin be revealed. Ah, the man of sin be revealed. The son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Isaiah 14, verses 12. Keep reading. You'll see this is Lucifer. This isn't an anti-type of Lucifer or type. This is Lucifer embodied in a human body. So what is he doing? He's, and remember, the day of the Lord cannot come. We cannot be gathered together to him until... The falling away happens, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship. Now listen what he's going to do. This man of sin, Lucifer, so that he is God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. It's not a pig on the altar in 70 AD. It's not a pig on the altar in Epiphanes the fourth. It is Lucifer, the embodiment of the man of sin in the temple, which will be built in Jerusalem. It will be built. And he's going to stand in it, and he's going to be showing himself that he is God. This is the Antichrist. And the false prophet and the beast and the dragon and all these Antichrist forces will be operating during the Great Tribulation. This man is coming, but Jesus said the Lord is not coming until he arrives. Until he shows up and does what he does. And then Paul says in verse 5, Do you remember not? Or remember not that I was, when I was with you, I told you these things. In other words, I've already told you this. So don't be running around. The Lord's coming any day. The Lord's coming any day. Don't get nervous. Don't get excited. Don't get afraid. Don't get terrified. 
you know, don't don't get into that spirit. I've already told you what was going to happen. Just be still. Be at peace. Don't let your heart be troubled. In verse 6, he says, And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Who might be revealed in his time? Well, according to what we just read, Jesus. What's withholding Jesus from coming? The falling away and the man of sin's arrival. That has to happen first. That's what it says. He's talking to them, begging them to know about the coming of our Lord and our being gathered. And he's saying that can't happen until these things happen. So when he says, now you know what's withholding that he might be revealed in his time, you know what's holding Jesus from coming back, these two events. That's easy. Verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. All right, that's that's another conversation. The mystery of iniquity, ooh, bad stuff, already works. Now it says, only he who now letteth will let, or he who restrains will restrain, until he be taken out of the way. Who's going to be taken out of the way? So look at what it says. The mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now letteth, or who is restraining, restraining what? The Lord from coming. The Lord from coming. He will continue to restrain until he be taken out of the way. The man of sin. The man of sin. Let's, let's work with this, okay? The only one restraining Jesus from returning is the man of sin. He has to be there before the Lord returns. So in order for the Lord to return, something's got to happen. Only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, many people say that's the church, it's the Holy Spirit, or maybe even those who have equated it to be the law of God, right? Well, listen to what happens. The only one that's restraining Christ from returning is the man of sin. And it says that he will continue to do that until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed. So the wicked one's going to be revealed, who's been the mystery of iniquity is already at work, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. All right. And shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, when does that actually happen? Is that in the coming that we've been talking about all morning? No. Watch this. So, When the Lord comes, he's going to consume him with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So let's go look at this event in Revelation 19. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Now, this is after, this is way after the coming of the Lord in the clouds, the dead rising, we being caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and then we're off with the Lord. This now is another coming of the Lord. Watch. 
Verse 11, Revelation 19, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. So heaven is open. I saw a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he does judge and make war. He didn't do that in all the other comings that we've just been reading about. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So what is this? This is another coming of the Lord after the seven vials of the wrath of God are poured out on the world, on the beast system in all the world, which happens after the saints of God have been taken up, which happens after the Great Tribulation period. So now you have the Great Tribulation has expired, the dead rise, we're caught up, we're with the Lord. God pours out his seven wraths, uh, his seven vials of wrath upon Mystery Babylon and the beast. And then in Revelation 19, now the Lord comes with all the armies to set up his millennial kingdom on this earth, which is in Revelation 20. And what's happening? He's coming to judge and make war. And then it says in verse 20 of Revelation 19, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and then that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So, point, going back to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. There's coming a time in the economy of God where immediately after the tribulation, when the saints are taking up, the Antichrist forces are still on the earth. When the vials of the wrath of God are poured out on the earth, one of those vials causes the beast to gnaw their tongues in pain. This is the judgment of God that's being poured out on the world system, the beast, the dragon, the false prophet. It's after the being taken up into the heavens with the Lord. So the Antichrist forces are still here. And then we're reading here, that when the Lord returns, in verse 8, then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. Revelation 19, out of his mouth went a sword. He shall destroy the brightness, and he'll destroy this wicked one with the brightness of his coming, Revelation 19 coming, not the first, whose coming is after the working of Satan, that's Satan's power that's being destroyed, with all powers, signs, and line wonders which he employed during the great tribulation, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perished because they received not the love of the truth. So to me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 just clarifies everything. The whole chapter is about the saints of God not being troubled, not being deceived, not being caught off guard about the events that are going on in the world. 
There's going to be a falling away first. The Antichrist is going to show up on this earth when this is to be fulfilled. Those who are alive and remaining are going to have to endure the Great Tribulation period under the control of the Antichrist, Lucifer himself, for three and a half years. The world is going to go into cataclysm, schismatic. I mean, it's going to be just four billion people are going to die. We know that. It's going to be a one-world government. You won't be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. It's a call to endurance. The Lord Jesus will not return, even if they say he's over there, over there. He's not going to be there until after the tribulation. And then, after that tribulation period, we'll be caught up. The Antichrist forces will still be on the earth. God will pour out his wrath. The Lord will return with his armies, deal with the false prophet, the beast, and the dragon. Satan will be locked up for a thousand years, and the millennial reign will begin. Now, that's a lot of stuff we've been talking about today. And I'm so glad to see someone calling in. So we could get here. Uh, say good morning, Kathy. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Yeah. Good morning. Um, good teaching. I like it. And Thank uh, you. so much. Yeah. So I have a question about this in the Bible, where it speaks in Revelations, which is the last book of the Bible. We know that. And so anyway, it talks about how that. It says dogs. It's talking about literally about the dogs. That it's an inclination of something concerning. There's a spirit on people, or humans, or whatever. And and then in that chapter, it talks about they will be. There'll be no part of the kingdom of God. People that have that. For without our dogs, this is the way it says, and sorcerers, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Okay, we're getting down to the very end of this Bible. So these dogs that God allowed to have put in this here Bible, it has something to do with Matthew 7 too. It speaks about dogs. And so... What is God trying to tell us? About the dogs? (laughs) Yeah, he said their prophets were barking dogs, um, uh, slumbering dogs. Dogs are a kind of an analogy um, or a symbol of, you know, people that are not necessarily equated with the things of God, but are nipping at your heels, biting, devouring um, slumbering, barking, but there's just no real substance. Um, that's kind of my best thought on that one. Right. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. apparently, when this all comes to pass, there is the one coming of Jesus Christ. And like you brought out earlier, we are going to know. And there's there is doctrines out there we've heard in the past ourselves about how that there's three comings of the Lord, which they call this rapture, you know, imminent. And then they have another coming, another. But the Bible does not back that up. No, it really doesn't. I mean, I know the Lord came 2,000 years ago, uh, and he had appearings and parousias and Urkelmais. You know, he appeared to the two that were walking after his resurrection. 
So his comings or appearings at different times throughout the epochs of time, you know, that's it. But when we talk about his actual coming spoken of by himself, when he's going to come in the clouds, there, the only time he comes in the clouds with the trumpet immediately after the tribulation. That's in all the writings. And then after that gathering, after the, the, the vial of God's wrath in Revelation 6, we do know he comes again with all of his armies, take the planet to rule and reign during the millennium. And that is another coming of the Lord. I, I see that very clearly. So, uh, But as far as a pre-tribulational rapture to escape the things that are coming on the earth, it does not exist in the Bible. And yet the Bible does teach that God will protect what belongs to him. Uh, there will be chambers and Goshen's and arks and refuges, and there will be places of protection uh, for God's people during the Great Tribulation. And I think the way that we find ourselves in that position is by honoring and obeying God in our daily walk with him. Yes, I believe that uh, because uh, it also talks about that in the revelations about and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their forehead. So it's the sealed. God, uh, God's saints that are sealed. And uh, this all looks like, unless it is interpreted, interpreted by the Holy Ghost, it's going to cause a lot of confusion, and it already has. But greater is he that it is in us than he that is in the world. So the enemy, he wants to sidetrack a lot of people in this timetable we're in right now. I'm in full agreement. Yeah. Well, amen. I, and, and what does it mean to us, Kathy? It, it means that these are the most exhilarating moments on the face of the earth because uh, I know it sounds like a long time out, but if the Great Tribulation were to begin – in a very short period of time, that means that the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we understand his coming to be, um, it's at the door. And if we will gear ourselves to be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people right now, and live a life that is uh, pleasing to the Lord, not offending God in anything we do, um, and just honoring the Lord in our walk with him, we could actually be eyewitnesses of his coming and his return. Um, the fact that these things are going on are fascinating, quite frankly. The convoy to Washington, D.C., if it's even happening, I don't know. We'll find out. Um, the war that's breaking out over in Ukraine, what does that mean? Uh, there's a lot of different thoughts to that. Uh, the global events, uh, things that are happening, it's, it's amazing. But in the kingdom, it's even greater to witness the things that the Bible has spoken of, the intelligence of Scripture, the wisdom of God, man, it makes you feel happy to be alive in Jesus. Amen. Amen. And this is the transformation of the minds of God's people and also this, what you're talking about right now, all these events happening, that all has to come to pass because it will be that 42 months like the Bible speaks of. And then you have also the beast system is here. And this whole thing is going to come to pass, just like the Bible teaches. Amen. Boy, do I believe that. All right, Kathy, thank you. I'm going to read a few of the uh, notes that are in the chat room before I get rolling here today. 
Thank you for your call, as always. God bless you, and thank you for being here. All right, so here's what Brian and Kathy are saying all the way from the island of Kauai. Watch Damascus, Syria. Russia is supporting Iran in arming Syria against Israel. This could be the pretext for Israel destroying Damascus in accordance with Isaiah 17. Damascus is the oldest city that has never been destroyed. This is an end times event that may be sets off the Ezekiel 38-39 war. And Mr. Xavier, give me an amen on the back of that. Um, all right, and then there's some other thoughts, but I was asked to read them offline, so I will. Uh, Kevin Hauger was sharing his thoughts about the rapture. I think it drives him crazy, the preacher of rapture teaching. And uh, I think that's it for our chat room today. So we shared a lot of information. I hope you will find some value in what you heard today, and you'll be able to do something with it. (laughs) And um, amazing. We love you, saints. It's Thursday. God bless you all. Stay the course. This ministry is the truth. This ministry has value. Please support the ministry, and there's a number of ways you can actually do that. You can support it by sending a gift if you want to. It's on the screen right now, P.O. Box 100, Decatur, Arkansas, 72722. We appreciate your – you value it, and this is one way of doing that, so thank you. Uh, P.O. Box 100, Decatur, Arkansas, 72722. Another way you could support this ministry is by going to the website – nwmglobal.org, nwmglobal.org, and pressing the donations tab there. One of the easy ways to do this, if you're interested and you're on your phone and you just want to text in a blessing, what a great idea, it's the number on the screen, 41088-OMEGA. Just text 41088-OMEGA all together, letters and numbers, small, lowercase, on the letters. 41088-OMEGA, and then type in the word GIVE, and then it'll send you through all the things that you do there. And so that's really cool how that works. And another way, obviously, is by going to our website on omegaradio.org, omegaradio.org. The Apostle Paul said it this way, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, what's the big deal if we reap your carnal things? It's called partnership. We need your gift, your blessing. I hope that what we have is something that you are making use of. We love you. God bless you. And we'll see you real soon. If we don't see you tomorrow, it's only because we will be traveling. All right? Getting ready to go back to ice cold weather. Maybe we'll go ice skating. Time will tell. Take care, saints. God bless.